never stop. Don't quit because like you just need to know you're going to doubt yourself. You're going to have imposter syndrome. Everybody does. And lo and behold, after crying and asking my friends, whether they're my cardiothoracic surgeon buddy or they're like one of my friends just bartending, they all are like, I'm a fake. Everyone thinks I am what I am, but I'm just faking it. So everyone feels like they're faking it a little bit. So it's kind of like, is it faking it or is being just choosing to be? I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Before we begin this week's show, I'd like to make you an offer, a free 30-minute call with me. We've been doing weekly chats with other real estate investors for months now, and the response has been great, but we're going to change things up a bit and focus. We are buying self-storage facilities. We have a great partner in North Carolina with a great track record of success, a background in construction, and we're partnering up to help him expand his portfolio. If you have an interest in learning more about investing in self-storage, on the active side, on the passive side, whatever your level of interest, we want to talk to you. There's no pitch here. We're not selling a coaching program. This is just a chance for us to network with other investors interested in self-storage. Also, if you're a current self-storage owner, we'd love to chat with you and perhaps have you as a guest on our show. If all that sounds like something you'd be interested in, go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash self-storage call and schedule a call there. I look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to the Road to Family Freedom podcast. Our guest this week is a former firefighter and now full-time real estate investor with a portfolio of 41 doors. She's also the host of the brand new podcast launching June 15th called REI Tech. Megan McCallum, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me on today. No, it's good. To, it's good to have another parent on. We, we've been having a lot of uh, non-parents lately, so. Yes. so <clears throat> power to the parents. Right. <laughs> because, this, because the struggle is real. <laughs> yeah. It's so real. Yeah. Well, and like a lot of, you know, our podcast, we, we want to like aim towards helping families, but we have to sort of like take some of that and like mush it into family because so many of the people that we talk to are like single white guys. Yes. <laughs> there's a predominant number of single white guys in the industry, but you know what? There's yeah. so you're seeing so much more diversity culturally yes. and oh, yeah. you know with women yes. in, in real estate investing. So it's the diversity's growing. It's it's gotten cool. It's gotten cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah our, it's nice. our our good friend Alex Felice uh, often says he goes, "Oh, real estate investing's easy." I'm like, dude, you're a mm-hmm. single white guy with no kids. No risk. <laughs> Give Your me a risk break. tolerance is through the roof. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm yeah, just, yeah. what's equity? <laughs> I'm just going to squeeze it all for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So enough out of that. So you've been investing in real estate uh, since about 2009. Um, and as I understand it, you and I share an unfortunate experience of investing in a condo around that time. Can you talk, walk us through that story? Yeah, I, I, I will have to sneakily admit I had bought one property before that. It was, it was like 2004. I bought a house. Um, but I only lived in it in nine, nine months because I took a job in the Middle East and like left and like sold it. So I don't really count that as investing. It was, it was very short term, but I made money on it. It's my only flip. So, um, but let's go, <laughs> let's go when I was like being mindful about it. Yes. I invested, yeah. uh, I actually purchased at in the end of 2007, uh, the condo. Perfect timing. Yeah, Perfect timing. nailed it, right? So um, I knew nothing about real estate at that time, except that you needed money to, to buy it. And so I had gone out and took that job in the Middle East in order to afford coming home and buying real estate. So uh, I still own that condo and I'm still underwater on it to this day. Luckily, I can absorb that loss now like I couldn't before. Um, so I am trying to finally sell it. Uh, I don't like condos. They're not for me. (laughs) 
What, uh, so what is it? I mean, I, I know what the answer to this is, but for a listener who's maybe, uh, you know, looking at going, Hey God, the co- prices on condos are great. Right. I'll buy a condo. Why, uh, why do you not like condos? HOAs. Um, condos don't give you that, like, so in, investing in real estate, one of the greatest parts of it and why, why you have, you have no control over your, the stock market, but you do have control over, and it's like your own little personal stock market when you're dealing with properties, you can add value to them. You can manipulate their value by how much, you know, um, money that you're making on each property. Condos, you're at the will of people who don't necessarily care about what your goals are in life. So unless you plan on becoming the president or secretary of, of the HOA of your condo association, or unless you know the person who's controlling the condo association, you are at the risk and will of whatever they want. So can, I like controlling. I like, I like the aspect of controlling real, in, in, that you have it within real estate investing. Yeah. I mean, when you're dealing with a condo HOA, you can have, you know, the association can decide that, yeah, we don't like renters in here. We only want owner owner occupants. Uh, You know, uh, we don't, uh, uh, we really think the grounds need to be spruced up because we don't really like the way the bushes look. And so we're going to charge an assessment to, uh, you know, to make the grounds look nicer. And, you know, uh, the pool needs to be completely resurfaced and things like that. Even more scarily is a mismanaged HOA. And that's what I bought into. So, mm. yeah, if, but I figure if you're going to make mistakes, swing for the fences, learn everything, just go, you, big. Yeah. Just go big, make, <laughs> make them all, I guess. But um, yeah. there, I yeah. know plenty of people who do well with condos or have done well. And I think there's a time in the trend, it, within the trend cycles and within the economic cycles, there's a time to invest in condos. Um, I just don't think it's a very safe long buy and hold strategy. And that's, that was the goal when I started real estate investing. So, but not when I first how bought did that you, condo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious how you came to, to real estate where you kind of had like an aha moment or learned about it. I had one hell of a mother and oh. she wanted to get into real estate, but my father was always scared. So unfortunately she, it was always kind of her dream and she and I were very much alike and she ended up starting her own business hired my brothers and sisters and wouldn't hire me. And she was like, this isn't for you. Real estate's for you. And she's like, eventually we'll partner. And I'm like, okay, I'll go learn. And so she like was like, go learn about real estate. And the more I learned, the more I realized she was right. I loved it. And I couldn't wait to partner with her on it. And it was great to not have to like be, I was going to be in the family business, but that was a different family business. And it was going to be a joy to do with my mom. Um, and. Uh, it made sense to me. Real property made sense. So even though I took a little kicking from the condo, <laughs> uh, I knew that finding the right property at the right time and the right location was everything. And that led me to my next purchase. Mm-hmm. So. Gotcha. Um, so as somebody who has a mom, who's also amazing and really uh, has expressed a lot of interest in uh, investing with me, how did that partnership um, how did that partnership work? Unfortunately, it never worked out. My mom ended up getting cancer and she ended up passing away. But she did leave me some money, which I was able to use in my birth strategy. And we can talk more about that's how I accumulated all my doors was by recycling my money with the birth strategy and using finance, you know, intelligent financing. Um, but I know she always wanted apartment buildings. She always did because she would point out the ones. She's like, oh, this is the one your dad and I, you know, considered buying. And you could always tell it, it ate at her that she didn't own apartment buildings. So mm-hmm. um, in 2017, I was able to buy, you know, after I, I took my time buying houses and then duplexes and triplex. And, you know, that I finally had the, I felt like I had the skills and, you know, her support to go ahead and I bought a 20 unit apartment building in 2017. So, um, yeah, I feel like she's been my partner, like silent partner, you know, just kind of pushing me along the way when it's hard and stuff. So it's been great though. It's, it's fulfilling a dream she had, which is kind of cool. And now it's like my passion. That's That's really cool. That's That's really cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about after the condo. Yeah, Sorry. (laughs) Um, you're, 
your first deal. According to our notes, it was a house hack. Do you want to yeah. talk to us about this that? This is it. I'm still living in it. This is this was my best purchase ever. Um, so I spent so after making my mistake in the condo, I learned I have to learn a heck of a lot more before I buy my next place. Um, what felt I, I felt I, you know I trusted my gut on the condo without knowledge, and it was a dumb gut, mm -hmm. and we lost. But so I spent three and a half years really learning locations. I went to like all these open houses. I was studying how property values were dropping and dropping and dropping. And all these foreclosures were coming up. So I learned about foreclosures. And finally, uh, one popped up that was a duplex in a really awesome neighborhood, a really awesome location within a great city. And I jumped on it. I pounced on it. Um, and luckily, you know, they, they want you to do your best and highest. And then I, I threw everything I had at it at that point. But when I walked in, I knew it was it. Like from all of my research, I walked in the property. I didn't see, I wasn't even able to see both units because someone had stolen the key so that you couldn't see both units. Like there were, it was back then when everyone was fighting over all, you know, all the scraps and the deals. <laughs> and um, I threw down a $20,000 earnest check and uh, with the other unit site unseen and when they wanted best and highest, I threw all my cash that I had at it. And uh, even though it wasn't the highest, because I think I had the highest cash amount down, they took it. And that house, when I bought it, was $280,000, or it's a duplex. And now it's somewhere probably, the last time I had it appraised was 700000 and that was like three years ago. And looking at what everything else is selling for around here, um, it's, it's upwards right around about a million dollars, about 900 to a million dollars. So, I mean, you don't have to buy a lot. You just have to buy right. And, and yeah. I lived in it and I'm living in it now and I'm living free in this amazing neighborhood. And, um, it allows me the, the flexibility of being able to put in things like, Oh, I'm going to update my garage or I'm going to, I can reinvest mm -hmm. in my house without feeling like I'm losing anything because all it's doing is increasing the value and usability of the space so yeah man that was a it was a good is, one i wish i had 10 of these <laughs> <laughs> is the other unit a like a long-term rental or yeah short-term yeah, i you know I, I played with the short-term thing uh fun fact i believe one of the first anti-airbnb laws was written because of me um I can't 100% substantiate that, but in 2012... Well, thank you for that, Megan. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, here's a little trick. I already figured out a way around it, and I'll let you guys know. But I had Airbnb in 2012 in the city because I was like, awesome, there's this thing, Airbnb, and I was Airbnb my own unit, really, and then I had a renter upstairs. Um, but yeah, they, did, they wrote an anti-Airbnb law, and I, I believe, like, I believe it was the first one because they're like, we can't find anything about this Airbnb or any laws against it because I was fighting them going, your city laws, I'm, I'm, I'm following everything you've written. I've gone through everything that you've written. I'm not renting to like more than, pe you know, the amount of people I can in my unit. Like they came down hard because they didn't understand it. And so I think it was one of the first anti-Airbnb city laws. But the thing is this, they can tell, they, they came down and they're like, you can't rent your house for less than 30 days. And they're like, are you going to follow the laws? And I'm like, I always said I was going to. <laughs> Please don't announce it. Go on through. I did make them go to the bathroom before they both, uh, before they started, but kids. Okay. So where were we? From the poo to where? Okay. So Airbnb. Under 30 days. Yeah, so, but, but here's the thing. The city's going to have these laws and makes everybody feel better, but the truth is the city can't determine what your cancellation policy is. So you can write a 30-day lease with a 24-hour cancellation policy and rent short-term. So the cities who are anti-Airbnb and anti-us moving forward with, again, this was the second, Airbnb was the second wave of technology, right? So I was like right on it, like trying to push it forward and, I probably said it back a little bit. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so we did some short term for a little while and uh, now we're just long term upstairs. It's just, I'm going for, I'm, yeah. I'm looking for simplicity. After all the craziness lately, I just want a yeah. little bit of simplicity. 
Don't need every dollar. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 Well, we, we love, uh, we love the house hacking strategy. It's how we got into real estate investing and we got into it, uh, with a short-term rental at the front. We had a little casita at the front of our, uh, at the front of our house. Uh, and, and it's, you know, and it's, but again, the city, we started doing it around the same time you did 2012 when nobody knew what Airbnb was. And then the city starts, you know, the casino and hotel lobby starts kind of sticking mm-hmm. their hands into things and, you know, angry neighbors don't understand what it is and start mm-hmm. complaining about, you know, I want to know who my neighbors are. Yep. And uh, I always ask people, how many of your neighbors do you know? Right. And how many of their well, friends and from one. friends and family, like, okay, so you have friends and family come over. I don't get to ID check all your people. I mean, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Airbnb does probably a lot more background check than you're going to get from just like whoever bought the house next door, mm-hmm. like you're not going to know they could be, who knows? So, yeah. Yeah. um, anyway, we digress. Yeah. We have uh, plenty of episodes. That go yes. Yeah. We don't, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so like, if you are somebody who's looking to get into real estate investing and you are, you know, you don't have a whole lot of money or you got some money, look into house hacking, find a way to house hack, look for a duplex, triplex, fourplex, you know, find a way to do it. Cause it is, I think it is the absolute quickest way to, to get started in this business. It's the easiest. Oh. And yep, it's, it's good to learn about your, it's, it's the best way to learn about property because most people get involved in real estate investing. And I went a different route being a firefighter. I was used to tearing houses apart. That's what originally interested me in, in like, wait, how do these get put together? And what's the fire science of all these different, you know, construction pieces that they're using. Um, mm-hmm. but I went on to even go and study, uh, home ins- I went and got, became a certified home inspector. So, because I was so interested in my own home. So when you, your house hacking, when you buy your own home now, it's, when you're renting, it's different. You kind of just don't see all of the things. It's not your problem. You finally own it. Everything is your problem, right? So every scratch mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, and it's good to learn about real estate that way. I think it's good practice for, for having tenants and rentals and such. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I want to nail down the numbers there. So you bought it for 280,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much did you, you said you came to the table with quite a bit of cash. Um, I ended up being about $80,000. Okay. And did that include the purchase and a little bit of rehab? Um, throughout the year, it really didn't need a ton of rehab. I mean, I put a new roof on it. Eventually, um, I redid the basement just for more space. It really didn't need all, all that much. I redid the bathroom just for some luxury. Like I threw in like a hotel kind of equivalent luxury ba- bathroom for myself. And, um, yeah, it was otherwise in pretty good shape. So I, we rented it, right? You know, steam cleaned the carpets upstairs. Luckily it was in great shape. Um, steam cleaned the carpets and increased the rent um, within, I think, six months of us moving here. We, the rent was $1,400 upstairs. And we moved it to $1,700 um, as soon as we turned over those tenants. And now it's renting for $2,400. Wow. 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 That's fantastic. Um, so how have you been, you, you mentioned the Burr strategy uh, and you've been able to scale from that first house hack. Right. If we count that as your first real mm-hmm. investment to now 41 doors. Right. Uh, talk to us about how you have scaled that way. Well, um, with the Burr method, um, which I mean, I, I would assume most of your listeners are familiar with at this point. Um, and I'm guessing in show notes, you could put what that is. We don't have to go into it, but yeah. using the Burr method, I, I, t- I ended up going to a tertiary market where there was a lot less competition because there really weren't investors at that point. Um, I, it's out in the Quad Cities, which is three hours west of Chicago, straight west, right where Iowa and, and Illinois um, touch, right at the Mississippi River. That's the Quad City area. And it's a mix of a lot of, it's, it's really about seven small, smaller size cities. The MSA is about 500,000 people. Um, I was able to buy houses that were about, or multifamily, small multifamilies that were about anywhere from sixty dollars to $100,000 and then do a, a renovation that might be as much as 60000 and then go ahead and get all my capital back 
and do it all over again. So I was buying some single family houses. If it was a deal, I was looking at duplexes, triplexes, quads, um, and out there it was, it was still very easy to get good rent rentals because the competition just wasn't there. Bigger pockets wasn't as well known, mm -hmm. right? So everybody wasn't all of a sudden a new investor. So I had a little bit of a, a, a strategic and competitive advantage out there. Um, and that's why I wasn't investing in Chicago. Plus you just can't buy as much in the cities. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so when you went to the, the apartment home, did you take that money or do you have, um, like the, you said 20 doors on your apartment? Yeah. Um, so what was the question? So okay. I don't know. So you went from, so you had, uh, you probably you're up to 21 doors and then you jumped up to, a, you added a 20 unit apartment building. I think we were about, How did you find yeah, okay. I think we were about, I think we're at like, <laughs> at that point, I think we we're at 40, we were about 23 units, 22 units. Cause I bought one more after the apartment building. Um, it just made sense, uh, to scale in that way. I also was bringing on a property manager because self-management had become too tiresome because a lot of, a lot of our, our properties were newly renovated. So those renovations sometimes needed renovations. I was new in that area, so I, I made some mistakes in hiring contractors. So um, we brought on a property manager, and then at the same time when we, when we purchased the building. So after going through the arduous process of, of doing property by property and going single, you know, three single family houses, six duplexes, or whatever the number were, and then like a triplex, and it was just like, all right, let's put it all under, let's, let's get under one roof, right? So it, it'll just yeah. be easier to get it all under one roof. Um, I've also found that getting it all under one roof is an equally horrible problem. We had plumbing <laughs> go out. We had, we had our, all of our plumbing go out for like three or four days. And so we had to completely <sighs> replace everything from the building to the street and put everyone up in hotels. So it's not, everybody's going, the big thing since I would say 2016 is go buy apartment buildings. It's easy. It's not. I mean, you can buy apartment buildings. You can buy single family houses. God bless you. You can even buy condos at the right time if you find the right deals. <laughs> but that's not really, I don't think there's one thing that's really an end all be all. But I do know it is, it does have more pros buying multiple units under one roof than it does trying to buy unit after unit after unit after unit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so I want to step back for just a minute and, and talk about before, because that's a commercial asset yes. before you're buying residential. And the lending standards on, on residential lending typically says that uh, you can get a, a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loan up to 10 per individual. Um, did you max out yours and then max out your husband's? How did you handle scaling beyond that, uh, that limit? I didn't actually. Um, once I had four under my name, my, the bank I was working with was just like, we're only comfortable with four. You know, you're new at a, you're doing this full time. This is your only income. Um, because I was the one supporting the family. So after I left the fire service, this was it. And you know, the plan was there's, we've set aside money for, to live off of. It'll cost, take us three years to become profitable. Like try to keep in mind the businesses were, and we went to commercial loans really early. I was, my fifth property I bought was right. a commercial loan. You know, it was a commercial loan. Gotcha. Um, and so we had, <clears throat> but I looked at it that those smaller houses, I didn't have a problem being on like a five year, five year arm because I never planned on staying small. Right. So those single families, the duplexes and the location I was in, I wasn't married to any of them. Um, so for me, with us being on the upswing uh, and buying when I did, I knew that my risk management was really well balanced because of the diverse locations I was buying within that MSA. Um, so when it was time to jump to then again, now I was leaving my safety of all my different, all my little pockets, and now I'm plugging it all into one spot. And that was scary. That was a scary jump. And I wasn't sure I did it right. I thought I did. 
And still time mm -hmm. will tell because this whole recent um, pandemic that we have, I'm trying not to use the keywords because for some reason those don't work well in SEO. Uh, yeah. But this whole pandemic and this whole national thing, crisis that we're going through right now, you wonder, did I buy in the right spot? Because I bought in a great spot three years ago. <laughs> it's the same spot. Mm -hmm. is, did I do a good job? We're, we're still trying to figure that out. Um, so that's why mm -hmm. I never got into syndications. I wanted to spend some time in apartment building, you know, owning my apartment building, suffering through owning it instead of going, oh yeah, I can, because raising capital, I mean, I had people like emailing me after I'd be on podcasts, like Bigger Pockets podcast. I had people emailing me being like, I've got half a million dollars. I'd like to invest with you. I like how you talk. And I'm like, you don't know anything about me and I don't trust me to take your money. So let's, let's be friends and let's just see how that works out. And um, I looked into it, uh, almost, you know, looked at a, a place up in Milwaukee I really liked, but I still had a weird tingly feeling it wasn't right. And I'm glad I didn't get into syndications at this point. Um, so I do like apartment buildings for owning them for yourself. I will say I feel like that's something that's it's very safe because the worst thing that could ever happen is you move your family into one of your own units. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, you know, syndications are very different it's a very different business yes. and you need to re you know, a lot of people, you know, it's become a very sexy, uh, thing in real estate investing. And, uh, but you need to remember that it, it's a very different business and you, you are now in the customer service business where your customers have a lot of money placed with you and they, uh, and now you're under the gun to move that capital, right? Uh, whether there's a deal or not. And, you know, a good syndicator is not going to, a good syndicator will be comfortable waiting, but there's a lot of syndicators out there. I think that just, they got to, they got to place their money because that's how they're making money because right. they're making money on acquisition fees and things like that. Yep. And, they they got to um, feed their kids. Right. So they have to buy, they have to buy, they have to buy, they have to buy, which then makes yeah. people sometimes make mistakes because they'll have a confirmation bias that doesn't necessarily belong there. So yeah. it's something I think is interesting, but um, you know, as we were talking about Kathy Fetke right before when we came on, yep. as Kathy Fetke yeah. likes to say, I like to go with the gray hairs and because those are the people who've already made the mistakes and bitten the bullets and taken the beatings and man, are they wise for it. So I'm still gaining, I'm still accruing yeah. my wisdom. You know, I mean, getting to mm -hmm. a place of financial freedom is one thing, figuring out how to stave off risk from the unimaginable is a whole nother game. And so that's where I'm at with everybody in America right now, trying to figure out how do you do, like how do you find it and reduce all the risk that you possibly can? Yeah. yeah. What, um, so just uh, how are you, how are rent collections going for you right now? My apartment building isn't doing well. Um, unfortunately, it's, it was in a path of progress in a city that had just recently started cleaning up um, uh, the area a lot. It's right by one of the, a private college there. So it wasn't too far. So in my head, I was imagining that path of progress coming for more student housing because student housing was an issue on their campus. Um, unfortunately, some of the things didn't work out the way that I've wanted them to. Uh, but it is a solid cash producing property. It's just not as great as, you know, you go in with like, okay, if I do everything right, here's my everything right number. So I'm doing everything okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm doing everything yeah. that you're like, okay, well, it's, it's, it's a good cash producing property. Like, I'm not going to get super excited about it. I'm not in love with it. I'm in, I am in love with my house hack. Um, but I still, I mean, I bought that, that, that apartment building for, I mean, I only had to put $76,000 cash down for it. So I'm not mad. It's, yeah. it's doing good. But for what I had to put into it out of pocket, it's doing fantastic. So yeah, yeah. my, what I've learned, my wisdom is you just need to find one or two good deals every once in a while. And so, yeah. you know, having a nine to five job, if it's not stressful and it makes you feel like you're productive, I think it's a great thing to have or have a passion project that you're working on your own that you're making. Maybe like, it's good to just have an extra cash flow coming in, you know? So now that I am financially yeah. free, I'm kind of like, maybe I should go back to work. 
because <laughs> I'm not managing it. You know, I'm not day to day anymore. So I mean, like, you know, one of the questions like you guys, you know, talk about is how much time you put into your, to your property. And now that I have my property manager and we're pretty well like synced in, I only hear when really bad things happen. Like I had a guy shot by the cops in my apartment building because uh, he was holding one of my tenants captive. I swear, I've had like, mm-hmm. I, I could talk about all the things that go, how I've taken a lot of beating. Let's just say all, I've earned all my, my silver sparkly <laughs> yeah, yeah. gray hairs. <laughs> You're on your way to being oh, a gray right. hair. Uh, that's right. I'm earning, I'm earning my stripes, right? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah. so I did not expect that to ever happen in one of my properties because I've always bought properties that I would live in. Um, and fix them up to a standard that I would live in and not feel ashamed of it. So, um, but like, this wasn't like a drug deal. This was a, a crime of passion holding, you know, a man holding an ex-girlfriend. I mean, not that I'm downplaying it, but, oh, that was a call. Um, yeah, that's what, yeah. the more you have, the more you're going to get, the more people are variables. Mm. You can run the numbers all day, but humans are the variables and you kind of, you kind of have to love humans to be in this business because not all humans are doing great. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. So you, you mentioned time. How many hours would you say per week that you're, you're committing to, um, <clears throat> to my port when you're just in ma- when you're in maintenance mode, my portfolio, eh, not much. It's, it's more, I would say I, I do more kind of touching in and, and keeping track with like my team, like, Hey banker, what's going on? You know, Hey, can we do any better on any of my, you know, I'll just say it. They giggle at me every time. I'm like, Hey, get a better rate today. And they're just like, no, I'm like, okay, cool. I'll ask you next month. You know, it, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's yeah. fine. So I would say I probably only put in I, maybe four to six hours a month. Um, checking, you know, you're checking in on your, you're managing your managers. You're checking in to make sure things are going okay. That making sure that the maintenance requests are being handled in a timely fashion. I can just go right on. I think he's got, a, what is it? At Folio? Yeah. I can just go on, look at everything, see who's complained about what, see who's not paying. You know, no, no, it's recognize the same names, you know, and uh, then I make suggestions. Like we've got one guy who's been late for like nine months in a row and I'm going to, he's month to month and I'm going to suggest that maybe we just let him find a new place to live because I know my property manager is charging me for the time of chasing that money down. And so um, you just, I mean, that's the, it's kind of the cool part though. You get to sit back and make some calls and you don't have to get your hands dirty. I'm kind of at that place in my career and maybe just my, I don't know if it's my age or maybe I'm just tired. I don't want to get my hands dirty anymore. It's like, there's, there's someone who's better than me at that. And I will pay them nicely to take that off my plate. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how you kind of scale business. You can't do it all yourself. Right. Yep. And that makes it enjoyable because now you have time to where you can do a passion project or go, you know, um, if for us, that's part of what we want is to have that freedom to then be able to travel or I want to homeschool, yeah. you know, those things. And, and that's something that will give me that fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I can't really do that without the financial capabilities. Right. No. No. Um, so what would you say is the, the most important thing you learned that's allowed you to be successful? Never stop. Don't quit. Cause like, you just need to know you're going to doubt yourself. You're going to have imposter syndrome. Everybody does. And lo and behold, after crying and asking my friends, whether they're my cardiothoracic surgeon buddy, or they're like one of my friends just bartending, they all are like, I'm a fake. Everyone thinks I am what I am, but I'm just faking it. So everyone feels like they're faking it a little bit. So it's kind of like, is it faking it or is being just choosing to be? So if you're a real estate investor, just choose to be one and know that you're going to take your kicks. Like in baseball, there's reasons why in sports, we have protective equipment for a reason. So put yours on, (laughs) put on your emotional protective equipment and expect you might get hit but at least you saw it coming. So if you can, yeah. you can, if you can predict all the plate, like find your most vulnerable places in your business and protect them with something, be it an insurance, a lawyer, a partner, um, you know, or 
you know, make sure that you, you're not over leveraged on things, but, yeah. but don't quit. Yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. um, so you currently, you said you invest about three hours away from where you're at. Is that yes. correct? Well, that's where I, that's where okay. I have been. Um, I think I haven't bought anything in a while since the apartment building. Um, really kind of just been focusing on maintaining the portfolio as of right now. Um, so, but if I was investing, I mean, I would invest in Chicago. I mean, I, I would start reinvesting in Chicago. It's, I mean, I can go on about why Chicago's great, despite what everyone <laughs> wants to say about everyone's fleeing. And, and that, that is true with some people, but you have to see who's leaving. Is it the, the people we want to mm -hmm. keep leaving or... You know, in, in Chicago, we've had a lot of like poverty flight because schools were shutting down because attendances were low in certain areas because crime was high. So those areas, there was a lot of like blight flight. I mean, I think that's what they call it. Um, so yeah, Chicago lost a lot of population, but those areas in the past three years have been built back up and people have invested in them. And so, and, and people are moving back in. and we have such a very well balanced industry like industry spread in chicago we're not necessarily relying on one that makes us pretty safe we're also on one of the yeah. large if you want to think futuristically move with me on this one we're on one of the largest fresh bodies of water we're one we are the mm -hmm. largest city on a fresh body of water our future looks okay like we have resources that people aren't thinking about as far as where our value lies. So Chicago is a good place um, to put your money. I think anywhere in the Midwest for cash flow, almost, I mean, like Indianapolis is great. Minneapolis is great. Milwaukee is good cash flow. Um, but I don't, I think I want to be out of the tertiary markets right now. I think there's a lot of change going on and happening um, in the cities in the bigger cities. And I think I'd like to play I'd like to follow some of those trends before they get too popular. So. Gotcha. So would you feel comfortable? And I mean, you obviously, you feel comfortable investing at a reasonable distance. Is there, is this the kind of thing where you could say, you know what, uh, we're going to go live in Canada for a little bit. Would you feel comfortable being that far away from your investment? Um, yeah. I mean, it's three hours to me is the same as 30 hours. I'm not going to get in my car and go and fix anything. It's, I've got, I've got guys for that. Um, I took a little trip to Belize in 2016 and realized, and that's when I realized I was gone nine days and I thought, Oh my gosh. And I had a full-time employee too. And I was like, I, they can't do this without me. And when I got back, I was like, yes, they can. And then that's when I let, <laughs> that's when I basically let everything. That's when I let everything go. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. Sorry, I had a, a wee, good wee one learn. walk in there. Sorry. No, it's fine. So talk to us about the genesis of uh, the podcast. Yes. So, you know, I, I, for years, I've been thinking like, I, you know, a podcast is something that would suit me. I really like educating people and I like bringing the most innovative thoughts to people. And everyone then it just, there was this insurgence of all these podcasts that were happening, like just so many podcasts, it, multifamily podcasts, Burr podcasts. And I was like, you know what? I don't need to be part of the noise. All of these thought leadership platforms are filled. So I'm just going to step back and wait. And then I started getting into tech technology. I think it's because I was so separated from my properties. I was like, how can I have a better, like at being able to use Appfolio and see all of the things that already my property manager was using allowed me to realize like, he's only be able to do his job because of technology. What else is out there? Mm -hmm. And when I was running my business, I had like mile IQ, which I was tracking my miles um, on my car for tax reduction purposes. And I was looking for all these things because I was a one man band. And, and then I realized there's not a podcast for real estate investing technologies, mostly because REI tech's not even a thing because real estate investing technology is FinTech, which is financial tech. Contact, construction tech, um, CRE tech, mm -hmm. which is cons uh, commercial real estate tech, prop tech, which is everything else. And then you've got like the, the internet of things, IOT everywhere. You've got, so it's just, 
it just became so much that I was like, someone needs to focus on all of these things. And when I go to conferences, mm -hmm. everyone was excited to see the one speaker on technology. And I was like, we need more than one speaker at a conference per year teaching people about what's out there. Because I happened across one really cool company called Nestag, and they're based out of Chicago, and they're rapidly growing across the country. But they're a property management um, company, tech company, and they have been seeking to serve, basically solve the problem of having a, prop, a property tech or having a manager, a property manager. Mm -hmm. And they're doing it, and they're doing it successfully. And it's like how they're doing it's blowing my mind. So. I met them like a year ago and that, that just lit a fire beneath me. I was like, wait a minute, if there's this one little company that's like, that I believe in so wholeheartedly that's solving all these problems within, cause I'm not a big fan of property managers, despite me owning one, cause he's taken okay. all my monies. Um, like they figured out how to, how to solve the problem of, because really the property manager makes all the money. I mean, it, it, yeah. they really do. But Nestag, can do it all for you through AI technology. And they even do placements now because they've got relationships with realtors. So it blew my mind. I've, I had a really bad run in with my first property manager. And so that set me on a path of being like, there has to be a solution. But I never thought going full-blown tech because I'm not a tech head. Yeah. I'm a dumb, dumb fireman who drags an ax and runs into burning buildings. That is my mentality. <laughs> but then, and back in those days too, I was, I mean, I, I eventually made it to chief probably because I could put a PowerPoint together. That's how little technology I had utilized in my life for so long. So now I'm just blown away by this, this technology and it's one little company and I'm finding these new startups after new startups that are just solving the problems. They just haven't grown yet. So I wanted to take these companies and bring them to the people who should be hearing about them to help them grow and to help automate uh, automate processes, bring apps that do things. I mean, like there's a whole no coding movement, which is really cool, but there's so much that's coming forward right now. We are like at that tipping point. Remember where like not everyone had a smartphone, but like when you, mm -hmm. but you didn't have one. And so the younger people were like, you're not cool. Get with it. Like, I mean, it, or you were like, Neil. I think you had an iPhone before, I, and I, I had like a really shitty like flipper. You know, you had a flipper, like yeah. or, or like I like wanted to have the iPhone, so it was like a weird uh, Chinese like uh, looked like a Game Boy almost, but smaller and like you know was had was close. I don't know. Like I wanted to pretend it had things that it did, yeah. but it was just really crappy. Yeah, <laughs> I actually had an iPhone day one. Ooh, nerd! And and I was a rock star for about a month. Yeah. like I could walk into a bar and I could pull that out, and all of a sudden people would surround me. I'm like, oh, is that the is that the iPhone? And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's <laughs> pretty cool. You were a thirty something year old man without children. That too. That too. And it was really good looking. So right. No, I, you had, you <laughs> so were, you guys yes. were so you, you, you feel me. Money. You feel me. So whereas I came in and I was twenty four and I was like, I can afford a hundred dollar phone. <laughs> yeah. Right? So you there was that yeah. that was like a pair that was a massive paradigm shift in telecommunications, right? I mean I remember it probably because someone I was dating had an iPhone and they were like, call me when you get an iPhone. And I was like <laughs> It was a joke, but it was like, oh, shit. okay, I got to get with you. That was my first like wake up call. I got to get with technology. But this is like, we're right there. We're right there with technology and real estate investing. This is kind of the third wave of it coming in. First was like, the, oh, look, you can actually see things like MLS on, on the internet. And then it became like all of the automations with real estate and the internet and now we're at a place where it's the processes that it, what a processor can do. And I, I kind of try to explain to people, there's human time and there's processor time. What a processor can do would take so much human time. You're a jerk for making a person go through that. So mm -hmm. in that digital age, we're finding all these processes that were so important in business before that they can do exponent, like exponentially faster and it's changing the face of real estate investing. And the people who engage in these new technologies the fastest 
are the ones with the competitive advantage. It doesn't matter the state of what's going on around us. You will automatically just be able to do better, safer business. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, technology is bringing better safety and security. It's bringing more cohesion of people being able to do deals together. It's bringing more transparency in deals. Um, again, you can get like with you if you're in Chicago and you use Nest Egg, you can pretty much get rid of a property manager. So go back to self managing, and it buys you time and money. I mean. Awesome. It buys you time and money. Yeah. What else gives you time and money? Nothing. Technology does. Yeah. So it lit yeah. a fire under me. I yeah. want more time and more money and I want to work less and I want to raise my family and my kids. I'm actually a single mom now. Um, I am. So my last 2017, when I bought that, that apartment building, that was my last purchase because I'm going through a divorce. So yeah. financial freedom has saved my life like pretty much with going through everything, you know, and having those buildings yeah. support me while I'm trying to do everything else. I've got a four and a six year old who recently I've had to homeschool. And so on top of it, it's like, thank God I had those buildings. So when we talked about yeah. my mom being my partner, my mom was always the one that made me brave and she was always my safety net. And so in a way, real estate, like we are partners because she became my real estate investing portfolio and she is supporting me. You know what I mean? So yeah. So in that way, I think everybody needs to aim to financial freedom um, because if you make it and then you can make more money, you can give more, you can do more, you can enjoy more and breathe. So, yeah. Yeah. We, you know, the, as far as uh, also to going back to technology, the, you know, in the areas that we've experienced uh, as short-term rental operators, technology and automation is huge. I mean, there are, Two two little uh, software services uh, uh, that changed our lives when it came to short term rentals. One was called Turnover BNB, which handled all of our scheduling of turnovers, and it oh, took a huge. Magical. It was magical. <laughs> You're like, I uh, love it. Well, I was a, yeah, I was a stay at home mom when we first started this. So I cleaned for a long mm. time, and then um, I got a cleaner through one of my friends that was great. But then she moved, and she sort of like subbed out to some other ones and it was never like super consistent after that and then I went back to work and so I was trying to manage the calendar at the same time and it was like and if something got missed I wasn't there to like fix it you know and um and then then turnover BNB you know we found a cleaner that we absolutely adore and still use her and like schedule her for like stuff for us um, and, you know, recommend her to other people, but I didn't have to be in direct contact with her and right. say, there's a cleaning on this day and this day and this day, the computer told it to her yes. and it maybe took a little bit of money, but it was so worth the, yeah. the time that I gained back. And that was just one thing you can talk about the other ones. Yeah. Well, and there's automation in regards to guest communication. You know, uh, and there's even AI involved in that. You can create scripts that basically if somebody asks about this, it responds and says, here's what I think you're asking about. Here's yep. the answer to that question. Yep. Um, and that's how, that's you know, how, um, that's how Destag does it. I mean, it's basically an yeah. AI kind of, fu- it's like a funnel, right? It's like, a, it's an information yep. funnel. And then if it can't figure it out, it finally funnels you to a human where you can get like whatever silly question you had first time that computer probably was asked that question. They take that data and they put it in. So every time a first time question comes in, it's just, it compiles that data and because why should that human have to say the same thing over and over? They shouldn't, you know, yeah. human yeah. time should Not be sure. meant for doing human activities. Yes, very much. So yes. where do you think, I mean, cause we, we talked about short-term rentals, how, how uh, tech is, is affecting short-term rental management. We're talking about how it can affect um, long-term rental management. Uh, I'm also seeing it in self-storage. You know, we're, we're big in self-storage and before uh, it used to be that self-storage, you know, to have a, an unmanned facility, you had to have this big giant kiosk that's like an ATM. Right. And a while back, you know, one of our early uh, interviews was with a guy uh, by the name of Michael Wagner. And he's like, you know, why do you, why do you need a kiosk at a facility? Everyone has a kiosk in their, in the, in their pocket now. And if you can have a technology that basically handles all that for you then you don't have to buy a fifteen thousand dollar kiosk right that will own it it's going to break down and you know uh so what other 
what would you say other technologies that you see are maybe coming along in the next five years that are going to have the biggest impact on on real well, estate? Well, I think what's really interesting, I think self-driving cars is going to change some things um, because you look at a statistic I read, and I can't tell you where I read it, was that we use our, our cars about 8% of the time. So it being mm -hmm. the second most expensive purchase that people make, I think with automatic with automated driving cars, people are gonna re-examine owning one. It doesn't make sense to own mm -hmm. one. It would make sense to Uber a car every day to work more than likely or you know, share it so it becomes a semi-public um, way to work. And it also changes location, the whole phraseology, location, location, location. I bought where I bought because I have the Metro, you know, which is like the nicer commuter train, maybe two blocks away that I can walk to or I have CTA, which is Chicago's public transportation. Uh, it's a little cheaper, it's a, you know, it's a, little, it's a little rougher ride. Um, but that's two blocks away too. So I have all these ways to get into the city center without having to have a car. Well now, when self-driving cars are an option and you don't have to pay for insurance and you don't have the liability of driving. I mean, you can, you can work on your way to work like you would be in public transportation. Location isn't as important anymore. Um, so I think, mm. I think drive, other technologies outside of real estate tech is important to look at. So self-driving cars is one. Um, another one I think we have to look at is education. I mean, you, you yourself said, I want to I wanna, I wanna educate my kid at home. And you're not doing that with mm -hmm. pencil and paper out of a workbook day in and day out. You're going to be using technology to do that because it's going to make it so much easier and allow you to have and maintain a human relationship with your child while they have an mm -hmm. educational relationship with with the computer um, in doing so again now what does the school district matter now it doesn't matter yeah. what school district I live in because it might so happen that this next school year is also done online depending on what they choose to do with this virus why 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 would you have to live in a school district why can't you just opt your taxes I mean like so it could change the way we do all of that uh, educate our children. You also have to look at people who purchase properties around universities. Right now, universities mm -hmm. are telling their people to stay home too. So when the students start to come back and only a few students come back, maybe, maybe some of them still tell like they're, they're doing their online education, the ones who come back are mandated to live within student housing. So all the student yeah. housing that's not owned by the school you're lucky if you'll be able to rent it at market value when the students don't come back. I'm not saying it's going to happen that fast, that immediately next year. But I can tell you from the woman who runs all the online education for Loyola Business School, for their law school, told me that they make about $400,000 a year profitability from having the law school like facility, like the actual facility. The online program for that just does uh, like continuing education makes four million. What direction are the schools going to go? They're seeing the writing on the walls because unfortunately schools are hungry for money too, and not that they need yeah. it, but they keep trying to get it. And so they're going to look at how technology is going to save them money too. And so when students aren't coming to move on to campus, you know, I I think. There will be traditional campuses like we have Northwestern and people want to come to the University of Chicago. I'm speaking of my, my school terms here, Harvard, mm -hmm. Yale. I mean, I, there will be des, you know, big, big 10 schools. People want to go watch football games. There will still be students going to college. It just won't be at the rate that they are doing it now. And I'm afraid that it will suffer for the investors surrounding those school areas. Yeah. I think you could probably put that over into business areas as well. You've got a lot of bigger companies, Twitter and Google, and a lot of ones that have told a lot of their, their employees, you don't ever have to come back to the physical building, which means that they don't need those spaces. They're going to need smaller buildings. And, you know, you've got, it would be really interesting. I just thought about this, how this maybe impacts some of the issues with housing in Silicon Valley and San Francisco and how those prices are incredibly Ooh. expensive because of yeah they're like, coming down so interesting yeah mm. like it's it's so interesting and it's you know and that's not just even in the big tech places you're gonna see that in in other companies that are like oh 
we didn't think we could manage this, but now we can. And, you know, in some, depending on the employee, obviously some of our employees might be more, you know, um, they might, they might be more, why can't I Productive. think of the word? It's a, yes, that's the that's word. A, <laughs> like there's an easy yeah, word there. It's okay. <laughs> uh, they might be more productive being at home or working from a co-working space or a, you know, and then, but that, you know, if they're at a co-working space or a cafe, they don't have to pay the overhead for that. Someone else's. So um, I think you make a really good point that it, it will have some sweeping repercussions and, and, or, you know, the good and bad. Yeah. Um, well, so. one of the things that they're saying is the tech Silicon Valley, because technology is moving elsewhere, you're going to have, we're not going yeah. to have San Francisco, Silicon Valley, that, that area all being the hub anymore. There's going to be micro hubs. So take for instance, like a city you don't think of, I use this as an example all the time, Rochester, Minnesota. Why has mm-hmm. that all of a sudden become a tech hub? because of the Mayo Clinic. It now becomes a medical tech hub because it's serving the industries that are already there. So you have tech jobs that will start moving to those locations. And they're also realizing that, hey, some people, even though they can work from home, still want to come into the office a couple days a week. So they probably Mm -hmm. will still have offices, but they'll run their offices more like co-working space where you don't have a designated desk. You have a designated locker where you can go and pull out all of your equipment, boom, set it up for day, or maybe they hire, here's a new job, or a robot does it, and knows you're coming in, goes and sets your desk up for you right before you get there, and closes it up for you when you leave so that the next guy comes in and has his dad at the same desk. We're going yeah. to find these processes that automate how we live. And I think, I think the hybrid of living, of going into the office, because we do want that networking. We still want that human yes. connection and that yeah. touch. Yeah. Um, there's, there's some Zoom fatigue, I think, in the yeah. world. <laughs> we all, I mean, like, I want hugs from strangers. It's, it's really getting, it's getting, like, I'm, when I'm walking, I'm, like, so smiley at everyone. And, like, I'm, like, air high five. Yeah. I'm, like, doing things. So I'm, yeah. like, yeah. making social risks that, like, aren't yeah. normal. You're, like, yeah. please come into my circle. <laughs> yeah. Hi, yeah. what's your name? Yeah, yeah. nice to meet you. It's, yeah. it's like being a yeah. kid again. Like, Ooh, ooh, a person mm-hmm. that could be a friend. I mean, yeah, so we do yeah. still, I mean, tech is there to allow us to be experiential in our humanity. That's the whole reason yeah. technology exists. It's so we can go into the office. It's so we can stay home with our sick kid and not be judged yeah. for it. And this is huge for women because typically yeah. women have had to be the ones who stay home with the sick kid. I'm not saying there aren't dads who do it because I know a lot of dads who do it. I know families who split the time. It's great. But I think this takes a huge load off that, and it also takes a load off for men too because now everything can be so much more balanced in the home. There isn't this grand expectation. Like, I think it's just, we're in a really great place. I mean, like, la, la, la. If you're not listening to the news, we're in a really great place as far as technology goes. And, it, and yeah. technology is going to make being human easier. And right now we're in a place where being human is not easy. So following the tech yeah. and real estate investing or I think anything else, is, is, it's, it's going to be a phenomenal ride and journey. And, and so I want to bring people along with what I'm learning. And that's why I want the podcast. That's awesome. I'm excited to. Yeah, I'm excited to listen as well. So June 15th is when it launches? June 15th, unless there's a hiccup. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this will come out probably right before that. So uh, we'll be looking for it. Well, Megan, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Uh, You've got the podcast launching. Uh, If any of our listeners want to check it out or find out more about you, where should they go? Um, Our website for the podcast is tttrei.com. That's pretty easy. Uh, Or you can find, you can always find me on LinkedIn. If you Google me, you'll find me too. I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm, I'm very easy. I'm not hidden. I'm accessible people. Yeah. Okay. All awesome. right. It was so great talking to you, Megan. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. Done. Okay. That was Megan McCallum from uh, the REI Tech Podcast. You can check her out at tttrei.com. Uh, it was lovely talking to her. It was one of my more enjoyable ones recently. Yeah. Yeah. We also had some lovely talking before and after. Yes. So, yes. Um, she's Always. awesome. Yeah. Always fun kibitzing with the fellow parent investor. 
Yes. Who knows the struggle? Yep. Yep. So do you have a key lesson learned? Um, I think one of the things that she talked about when we, we asked like what an important skill um, is that, that she thinks would be important for investors. She talked about um, sort of preparing yourself for issues and, and protecting your vulnerabilities. Um, I mean, that's a sound recommendation for any kind of business or, or doing anything in life really. But um, I think it's important to remember that you are going to have, you know, she framed it as there's going to be issues. You're going to have problems. So prepare yourself as much as you can before those happen yeah. um, so that you can um, just work through them. Yeah. Risk mitigation. And, and yeah. you know, uh, a lot of people, some people create sort of um, procedures, you know, mm -hmm. write down sort of like, all right, if this happens, this is what we're going to do. And and yeah. you know, if you can sit, sort of sit down and figure out, you know, what are those different things going to be before they happen? Uh, and what am I going to do? Yeah. Uh, it's a lot better yeah. position to be in than like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Yeah. Well, and she also talked about, you know, having insurance and lawyers or things yeah. like that that are able to protect you in those kinds of vulnerabilities as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about you? Well, I mean, obviously there at the end, we talked a lot about her podcast and her, one of her passions, which is technology and, and real estate. And, uh, and for me, it's like, don't think that the world is going to stay the same and that real estate investing is going to stay the same forever. And then the same strategy is going to work forever. You know, there, there are people right now who are heavily into student housing who are probably really hurting right now. Um, now, we can argue, you know, maybe that's going to remain a long-term thing. Maybe it won't. Um, but just expect that, keep an eye on, on technical, you know, technology trends and how they're affecting um, the behavior of the humans who you are providing housing to. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's being able to see those things, whether it's part of tech or something else. So the people that are able to, to who are really super successful tend to, you know, see those changes coming. And well, and that's, I mean, the same thing, if you're looking for, um, you know, property, a lot of times people are looking for places that are starting to show signs of gentrification, yeah. you know, and, and then they're, they're investing in, then they're at that point, rather than once it's really started to get popular and they are more successful. So same yeah. idea. Um, all right, so let's get down to the nitty gritty um, knowledge. Uh, she said, really came, but she just said, never stop um, real estate. You're going to get, you're going to have your bumps and bruises. Um, you know, we, we've experienced that. Uh, we've had it from right from the very beginning when it came to short-term rentals. We've had some, we had setbacks. Yeah. Um, we had bad uh, bad guests, not many of them, but some pretty bad, you know, the ones that we did have were pretty bad. Um, and then, uh, you know, with the Burr investing we've been doing, we've had, you know, things that have not gone perfectly. Uh, but just keep doing it. You know, it, it's, this is a, it's a long game. And the key is to just keep plugging ahead and keep adding coals to that fire. Uh, so that the fire gets hotter and hotter and bigger and, and then you're free. Okay, how much money did it take for her to get started? 20,000, no, well, 80,000. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was the 20,000 was the- um, Earnest money. The earnest awesome. money, but yeah. So 80,000 80, down on the house hack. And yep. then she said she really didn't do a lot of, at least not right away. She didn't really put a lot of money into it. So. Yeah, it sounded like I it mean, was pretty rent ready. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I would guess maybe another 10,000 between the bathroom and the roof that she- yeah. Did. Yeah. And the bathroom was on her side that she was living in. So, yeah. But just imagine, like, think about that return on investment. She, it was worth 280,000. And now she said it's worth anywhere from 900 to a million. Yeah. And so that's, yeah. again, folks, if you want to get into real estate investing and, and you're okay, you know, buying a duplex, triplex, or fourplex, um, you know, it can be a really, really great strategy for getting into real estate yeah. investing. Um, time. She said very little. She's now handed off most of her work to a property manager. And she said actually four to six hours a month. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh. Awesome. Um, and then could she do this from anywhere in the world? I would say the answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's I already doing it. She said three hours, 30 hours. It's 
it's yeah. the same. Yeah. So I think she could run it. And then I get the the feeling that if she wanted to, she could invest in a market that was wherever else she wanted to, as long as she figured out how to boost on the ground. Yep. yep. Awesome. Okay. Once again, that was Megan McCallum from the REI Tech Podcast. Again, you can check her out at tttrei.com. Once again, that's tttrei.com. All right. We're doing this all again next week. Let's hit the road. Bye. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels. Megan. <laughs> do you guys do blooper reels? Because that's awesome. I called my I, I called my first guest Fat Kathy, and her name was Kathy Fetke. Oh, oh God! So if you know <laughs> Kathy Fetke, yeah. you called Kathy Fetke. Yeah, Fat I was Kathy. like, hey, "Welcome to the show, Fat Kathy." And she goes, "Did you just call me Fat Kathy?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yep, Catasaurus, Catharexis," and she was just like, "What?"